0: Everybody knew that Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny had an impossible act to follow when it was announced several years ago. Being made 15 years after the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, which itself was made nearly 20 years after the original trilogy ended in 1989, there were a whole lot of things going against the movie. From Harrison Ford's age, to the absence of Steven Spielberg and George Lucas in any influential capacity, to the incredibly long time that passed between Indie 4 and 5, to a studio that is losing money hand over fist, the movie faced so many obstacles. Nonetheless, Lucasfilm persisted, and in 2023, the world was graced with the grand finale to the Indiana Jones saga, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Now that I've seen the movie, I've come to reflect on my experience and ask, what do I like about Indy 5? What works well and what fails miserably? More importantly, will this be Indy's finest hour? Or will it, like Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, get left in the dust? Hello again everybody, my name's Tony and welcome back to Enjoy the Movie, where we love to talk about great movies and love to rip on the bad ones. So today is the last of the Jonesy June episodes, where we're going to be talking about the last indie movie, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. This time directed not by Steven Spielberg, but instead by James Mangold, the man who made the Austin awesome movie Ford v. Ferrari from 2019. Now, of course, yes, uh, Spielberg doesn't return, but Harrison Ford does actually, and he comes back as Indiana Jones for the fifth and quite possibly the last, the last time. <laughs> the movie is set in 1969. The moon landing is all the rage, and so is the Vietnam War. The if he doesn't focus on either of these things, whether for good or for ill. It does see everyone's favourite archaeologist reaching retirement at his university, but comes across Helena, played by Phoebe Waller-Bridge, who is his goddaughter in searching for the Antikythera, which from now on we'll call it the Dial, like her father did, who Indy ventured with during World War II, looking for the Dial. Of course, she's not alone. The Nazis returned, though I believe they're more like neo-Nazis than the real McCoy, but whatever. Anyway, after initially trying to help her find parts of the dial, she escapes with it and Lede is framed from the murder, ruining their relationship. Of course, he runs after her to the Mediterranean where it's a race against time on all fronts to find all the remnants of the dial before disaster strikes. Like I did with all the other Jonesy June episodes, I would start by talking about Harrison Ford. I feel like Unfortunately, I wasn't really happy with the way Indy was characterized in this movie. Here, he became much more cowardly than before. I mean, when he sees dead people at his college, you know, they've been shot by agents and Nazis and stuff. Instead of, you know, going to uh, solving the mystery and finding out what's going on and things like that and, you know, getting on top of things, he instead begins to pout and he calls the police. He's not particularly brave and he's become a drag here. And it doesn't help that uh, he's now in his late 70s, which makes some of the scenes later on in the movie all the less believable. Ford barely got away with his age in Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, and he was in his 60s back then. So now at almost 80, it's about as appealing now as seeing a 70-year-old Pierce Brosnan returning as James Bond again, you know? Also, the whole movie... He is going after his goddaughter, but their relationship remains as vague at the end as it was in the beginning. There could be any kind of duo, but I struggle to believe that they were a family of sort. The idea is she's supposed to be like, he's supposed to be, uh, Helena's godfather, but I just I don't buy that. Like, there's not, there's, there's not, not, not much chemistry between the two, you know, at least not familial chemistry, and it just. It ne- they never really struck me as a duo that would be related in some capacity, you know, as, you know, a god family or stuff. Anyway, also, I do think his arc got lost somewhere. Now, I'm not going to spoil the ending here, but his progression doesn't really fit his character that was set in previous installments. You see, the Isle of Destiny, like Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, was trying to tie up loose ends, because, of course, the time that Because of course, you know the the fact that the movies were made so far so long apart, but the result is that the movie now feels even more like a fan fiction than Crystal Skull did. So it tries to introduce new characters to help its plot make sense, but in the process, it gets bogged down, you know, the exposition to try and answer all of the questions that come up. Now, in the like, for example, in the prologue. We get a de-aged Harrison Ford in the middle of a World War II battlefield rescuing his friend, you know, who is, of course, is Helena's godfather, except, of course, Indy here, he's been de-aged, you know, made to look younger, digitally, except he still sounds like a 70-year-old man here. But even worse than this, the sequence takes forever and meanders between focusing on Indy and his friend, the dial, and the spirit that Jesus was spirit with for some reason, I don't know, but... Apart from the sequence being more violent than the entirety of Temple of Doom, it really reflects the really disjointed state of the plot and editing. You know, the movie usually... The indie movies usually clock in at about 90 to 100 minutes, with Crystal Skull almost scraping that two-hour milestone. Dial of Destiny, however, takes a whole two and a half hours, and much of it is marked by inefficient exposition scenes, long-winded and frequent fight scenes and characters acting more like plot devices that get killed off relatively quickly, thus eliminating any sense of attachment to any of them and reducing the impact of any character's death or threat of it. The result the result is that Dial of Destiny becomes a trial of endurance. How much can you take all at once without getting bored and tired? Also, the movie just wasn't much fun, which is a real crime here. The Indiana Jones movies are known for the witty dialogue and humor, but Dial of Destiny takes itself way too seriously here. Even Temple of Doom knew when to pull it back on the dark and heavy elements, well, at least sometimes. Back to Indy himself though. Guess what? He's divorced Marion. My god, are you trying to annoy us here? When will these two schmucks learn to work it out? I mean, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull did this before, and it worked as well as you might expect. It did the job, but it was awful. Because, it here's the thing, I said this in the review for Crystal Skull, and I'll say it again, the idea that Indy and Marion would break up because Indy would just abandon, like, just uh, leave uh, Indy and Marion breaks up, break up, just it doesn't really work for Indy's character. It never does, and so, you know, why try to do it again? I have no idea. Also, can't we have a relationship that endures for once? I mean, all the relationships, hit, every relationship hit and hits a rough fetch. But why is it that movies these days need to break up their couples at the first sign of adversity? Why not show them trying to work things out and coming out stronger than ever? But no, we can't have that. It's not cool and edgy, you see. But here's the thing. This trope was once cool and edgy, but now has been done to death. And I'm really getting sick of it now. You want to be cool and edgy, fine. But don't rely on the same old tropes you've been doing forever now that have lost their spices. And now just feel like anything else now that's happening. And that just doesn't have any weight to it anymore. Speaking of uh, cool and edgy, if you will. Phoebe Waller-Bridge plays Helena Shaw, Indy's cynical goddaughter. And, well, honestly, I'm not convinced that she can act. Throughout the movie, I, feel, I felt that she was putting on a performance to seem snarky and witty and clever amongst all the wisecracking jokes the movie throws at us. The result is that I failed to relate to her all that much because I could sense that something was off here. Like Helena Shaw wasn't, you know, a real person. Worst of all, however, is that Helena, even even if Phoebe Waller-Bridge would somehow give her a good performance... I still think that Helena isn't particularly interesting. I mean, she's fit and agile and seems smart enough, but her motivations are unclear. She wants to find a dial to sell it on the black market. Why? Who knows? In fact, I don't think she knows either because the movie never bothers to explore her motivations and past. Is it because she wants to go back in time to fix some error that happened in the past? Did she grow up in poverty when money was scarce, so she entered a dark path and engaged in artifact theft? Actually, it's funny, she well it's not really funny, it's actually grating. She makes a joke on how about how capitalism relies on theft while she shamelessly engages in theft. There you go. Hypocrisy at its very best. Also, Helena's character uh, really is splotchy and inconsistent, so I struggle to identify with her. I mean, she's still more tolerable than Willie from Temple of Doom, but she lacks a proper Raison d'être like Marion for Raiders of Lost Ark. Or Elsa from Last Crusade. Even Colonel Spolko from Kingdom of the Crystal Skull is better than Helena for the simple reason that Kate Blanchett delivers a more memorable performance than Phoebe waller Bridge, which is disappointing considering that Spolko was herself an underdeveloped character. Now, when I say these things, I'm not trying to hate on Helena or, you know, Phoebe Waldo Bridge. You know, say what you want about her writing skills. Apparently, she's written this program called fleabag now say what you want about her writing but i don't think she has what it takes to be a good actress also she has a kid psychic named teddy who's supposed to be this movie's short round who can apparently fly a plane because a 10 year old boy who's never turned a plane on before and of course i'm not making this up he actually says he's never turned on a plane before So a 10-year-old boy who's never turned a plane on before can definitely land a Cessna on rough terrain in the middle of a war zone. Lovely writing, guys. Great job. Like, keep it up. Ah, just kidding. No, please, please. This is bad. (laughs) Ah, ah, the horror. Oh, this is bad. This is, this is bad. Also, the editing was horrible here because the movie continuously interrupts the kind of thoughtful and inquisitive scenes with you know, tonally uh, unrelated ones. And it just, it, it really takes us out of the moment, eliminates any momentum that we might have built in the scene and just makes the movie take longer. So, like, there's a scene with, um, what was it, Indy and Helena, they're, they're going into that uh, artifact collection, they're going looking for the uh, dial, Except of course, that scene keeps getting interrupted by these other scenes of uh, the thugs and you know the CIA spies and murderers, you know Nazis. They're all sort of going about you know shooting people and just you know causing trouble. And then we come back to that uh, sort of quiet, inquisitive moment between Indy and Helena, and it just it ruins the moment. I was excited. I want to learn about the. Uh, I want to learn. About the dial, and but how am I supposed to learn about it if the CIA keeps hijacking my movie? Well, (laughs) in a way, the move the CIA in the movie, (laughs) but yeah. Um, another thing also was the dial of destiny itself was actually, I actually like the dial of destiny here because okay, so Archimedes built it to detect fissures in time, but the way it functions are way too complicated for me to remember. So I treated it all like the other... uh, All the other magical MacGuffins in the previous movies... You know, like the the Ark or the Holy Grail... Or the, the weird stone things from Temple of Doom... But... You know, so I treated it like these other ones... I decided not to think too much about how any of it worked... At least not too much... Really... Like, that's the thing, like... The movie... That's another thing in the movie... It's too technical... It's like, how does this work... Like it's too mechanical and like you have like too there's not enough whimsy and magic in it. You know, like like how cool is it, you know, an 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 old uh, sacred arc that can destroy an whole enemy army, if you will, or or a, a cup or a cup that uh, grants everlasting life, if you will, to anyone who drinks from it. Or or uh, say what you want about this, but even a, a crystal skull that has telepathic capabilities, if you will, you know, it's, I mean, it's just the dial, the dial itself, like, it's just, it's the whole thing, the movie runs into technical conversation, trying to ties itself into technical nonsense about how the dial functions, and it's like, who cares about how the dial functions? Just use it, like, every You know, like, all I care about is that we need to get it before the Nazis get it. Speaking of the Nazis, actually. (laughs) Yeah, speaking of the Nazis. Yeah, they come back. So, the movie is set in 1969, and yet there are still Nazis. Now, of course, you know, Nazi World War II has long since been over, and Nazi Germany collapsed, so I'm basically guessing these guys, you know, the Nazis of these movies were more like neo-Nazis and the motivation is kind of weird so it's like it's, it's it it's very weird so basically uh, the, the leader Voller who's played by ha uh, let me let me think okay hold on yeah so jürgen voller who's working for nasa but used to be a nazi who's played by madden Nicholson. you know he wants to correct the past but i don't know i just and, but it's pretty vague. Like, you know, what mistakes is he talking about? What mistakes is Hitler t- uh, made? I mean, yeah, I mean, we think about, it, yeah, objectively, he made lots of mistakes. But the point being, like, from from a point of view of Voler, like, what is, what exactly are the mistakes that Hitler made? You know, that he wanted to fix. What exactly was he, you know, on about? The movie doesn't really touch on these, which really kind of hurt it and make the whole thing feel even more vague if it wasn't already but yeah um the cgi the last thing i want to talk about at least last thing on top of my mind was the cgi well it was okay um the cgi it wasn't it was much better of course than uh what was it the ones in, in the one in kingdom of the crystal skull i'd say it's uh pretty polished actually um in comparison to any other uh, Indiana Jones movie, which is which is nice and dandy, but I don't know. I feel like those war scenes really stick out like sore thumbs. I mean, look, Temple of Doom was by, until this movie, Temple of Doom was the darkest of the Indiana Jones movies, but there was a there was still in Temple of Doom a sense of playfulness to it. All right, it was attempting to be funny. It was attempting to be comedic, well, not comedic, but it was attempting to be witty and funny. And charming, but Dial of Destiny, like I said, is taking itself way too seriously. You know, it's just—I don't know—like the the all this, you know, war footage and the car chases. It just that there's there's a lot going on there. There's not much. There's not much in the way of um, sort of bonding between the characters. It's always like we need to do this, we need to do that, we need to do this, we need to do that. What's next? You know, there's not much bonding going on between the characters. And this me, made me feel really distant from them. I mean if I remember hey that that Rangers of the Lost Ark, for example, we were introduced to Marion and like yeah, they're engaging in banter and stuff. It's like, you know, you could tell they had a bit of a history together, but you know what? At least at least they had chemistry and that made made us like them, like the two of them and well you know, they made us like them. Briefly, but yeah, <laughs> um, it's just it's really painful to see the movie being the way it is, actually, you know, the way that it ended up being, you know, Dial of Destiny, because here's the thing, this movie was impossible to make. You know, everything was going against it. The, the, the star, the main lead in the movie was uh, has, was getting old. The The filmmakers of the first four movies weren't, weren't that interested in making a fifth movie. And the writing was just really bad. The, the, the characters were honestly forgettable. Honestly, it's a shame that the last movie in the indie franchise was as bad as it was. The character is one of the most iconic in all of modern pop culture. And I'm not, you know, hating on this movie for fun here. Like, I actually really love Indiana Jones, you know, the movies, which is why I even did Jonesy June. And I did hope against all odds that James Mangold would deliver an excellent closure to the indie franchise. But the writing was on the wall. This movie sucked really hard. Overall, Dial of Destiny was definitely not Indy's finest hour, and I will not be returning to it anytime soon. Okay, so the question now pops up for me. Um, With Dial of Destiny, Harrison Ford officially ends his ride as uh, Indiana Jones. And it makes me wonder, what will happen to the franchise? Now, word has it that they're not going to make any more Indiana Jones movies. And, I mean, there are two sides to this in my view on one hand yeah the at least the Harrison Ford saga has reached its natural conclusion some would argue actually overstate its welcome certainly with dial of destiny it overstates its welcome so you know i think it's good that this is going to be the end uh in that uh, part of the uh, Indiana Jones franchise that this is going to you know you know we're, you know, we're going to f- wrap up the movies and um in that case, yeah, I think it's for the best maybe at this rate to end the Indiana Jones saga as it stood now. but on the other hand, I am actually not opposed to a reboot of the Indiana Jones movies. okay, I'm not asking for remakes of the Indiana Jones movies. What I am asking for is new Indiana Jones movies that are separate from these other uh from you know the original trilogy or the last two movies. You know, having a different, I mean, a new Indiana Jones movie uh, with another actor, you know? That that would be, I mean, look, Raiders of the Lost Ark, everybody loves Raiders of the Lost Ark. Last Crusade is my personal favorite of all the uh, Indiana Jones movies. But let's be honest, you know, they're works of human uh, creativity, really. And human creativity can have its best moments and its worst moments. And, in fact, some of the best movies... Best movies ever made were actually reboots and remakes of other movies. I mean, Magnificent Seven, with the one with Yule Breiner, and I think it was shot. Yeah, definitely Yule Breiner. Uh, that one was actually a remake of uh, Seven Samurai, which was made by Kurosawa. So I'm not opposed to movies being remade if you have the case for them. And I feel like. Indiana Jones has a lot of potential. You can set the char- you can take the character to all kinds of exotic and exciting locations and looking for uh, you know really cool and mysterious artifacts and facing you know fun enemies. You know you can definitely do this. I st- because the character really does function like a comic book uh, series, if you will. And I feel like they even made Indiana Jones. Into a comic book series at one point, so you know I can see, like it. I feel I I haven't read the uh, comic books uh, strips myself, but I get the feeling that they do that. It would actually translate themselves to uh, comic books, you know, given the type of adventures that they were. So, yeah, I on one hand, yeah, I think the Harrison Ford saga you know okay it's time to end it you know it was they had it had a great run but you know now it's over on the other hand i wouldn't mind seeing a reboot of the uh series with another actor or another you know with another actor playing indiana jones now you know and of course if it tries something new of course you know and does you know and is different tries to stand out from all the other indiana jones movies that would be great of course you know that's you know i can't really make that um uh, that, uh, prediction you know only time will tell whether we will get another indiana jones movie so but overall um i had a lot of fun doing jonesy june and i'm really glad that i got to revisit these amazing movies so thank you so much for uh joining me on this episode of uh, enjoy the movie and you know if you want me to do more of these um, marathons of uh, movie series and franchises on etm you know leave a comment or uh, you know dm me if you want and you know give me any other thoughts you might have you know i'd love to hear them you know this was a really fun ride and a somewhat nostalgic one at best so yeah once again thank you so much for tuning in and of course Once again, if you haven't done this yet, uh, don't forget to follow me on Letterboxd, where I post my reviews from the past and, of course, uh, more coming on the way. So, thank you so much for tuning in, and I look forward to seeing you next time. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe, and if you want to get in touch with us, then please leave a comment or go to the links in the description. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. We're there also. Be sure to share the podcasts with your peers and online. Thank you for listening. Enjoy the movie was hosted by Tony Saad. The music and logo were created by Clara Saad. Enjoy the movie is created by Tony Saad. Copyright Tony Saad 2023.